Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Now, I just met Leslie just in the last couple of days. I've heard lots of wonderful things about Leslie. As some of you know, I just said last week that Leslie's had quite a, her own personal battle with uh, cancer, and she's very bravely agreed to come, uh, and they're going to come together and, uh, and share some of their journey of uh, uh, vulnerability and courage. But I only just learnt just about half an hour ago that um, uh, about nine months ago, can I share this, Leslie? Is that all right? I'm going to share it anyway, yeah. So about nine months ago, Leslie had a dream, actually, and in her dream, she was um, speaking with a church in Perth. Uh, Isn't it an amazing thing? I mean, these guys travel over the world, but this was a specific dream. I'm going to be speaking to the church in Perth and that that would be part of her own healing process. So uh, we praise God for that and we thank God. I just thank God uh, constantly for these guys and for the way the Lord's using them around the world. Let's um, give them a warm welcome as they come now to share with us. Bless you. Thank you. It's wonderful to to be here with you. Um, I'll just be starting off and uh, um, I do the entertainment. She does the content. Um, (laughs) And... uh, it's a, it's a privilege to be here, and um, we've not, apart from the first service, we've not really talked about this, um, so we weren't quite sure how it would go, how it would go. Um, and uh, it seemed to go okay in the first service, but it could all go very wrong, so, um, but we're in another country, so nobody will know back home, so that'll be fantastic. Um, uh, we're also aware that as we talk about difficult journeys, um, some of you here would have had far more difficult journeys than we've had. And uh, we just want to honor you and uh, respect you in that. And uh, perhaps uh, some, some of the stuff that we say may resonate with you, um, but I'm sure you have much to teach us. Um, um, we, we don't really want to talk about ourselves. We really want to talk about God. And uh, we want to talk about what uh, we've learned um, or something of what we've learned. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the images to us that has been very strong is, is the Christian life as a journey. Um, we are pilgrims on that journey, and there have been um, uh, a Bible verse spoken very powerfully over our lives very early on in our ministry, that every place where you put your foot, I will give you the land. Um, you just have to put your foot down. Um, and somebody once described faith as one foot on the ground, one foot in the air, and a queasy feeling in your stomach. Um, and, uh, and I, but I think that is actually about taking ground. I think it's about moving on. And we're not called to be static. We're called to um, be God's followers, aren't we? Jesus' followers. Follow me, Jesus said. And uh, he doesn't often stay uh, static. Um, this is the Spirit of God, of course, which uh, blows where it wills. Um, one of the strongest um, images, uh, of course, in the Bible is Psalm 23, which is that wonderful story of or that image, really, of the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Um, I love the first few verses. He, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, if it ended there, it would be very good. Um, but it doesn't because it goes into verse 4 to say, Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And even in the midst of that, you prepare a table for me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Our journey with this psalm in particular in verse 4 began a couple of years ago when we began to plan for a a major event in London uh, called Movement Day. We were part of a Movement Day um, family which was growing up around the world, which was basically leaders within cities um, who uh, begin to dream for something bigger than just the growth of the church, as good as that is, but actually began to pray and work towards the transformation of their places, socially, spiritually, culturally. That's a big ask. It's a big dream. Um, the whole idea of Movement Day began in New York um, several years ago, and uh, that then became an international um, gathering point where people were coming from all over the world because God was doing the same thing in different places. It's amazing. It's a move of the Holy Spirit. The planning of that event um, was kind of handed over to us. They wanted to have one in New York, and then they wanted to go to London. Um, and, uh, and I said, well, I'm, I'm sure we'll help you. And they said, no, 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 you, no, you have to do it. Um, I thought, oh, good. My idea was to start small and grow. Obviously, that would be much more manageable. Um, but God had other things in mind. I think he wanted a breakthrough, actually. He wanted it right in the heart of London, right in Westminster, the heart of power in London. Uh, The Methodist Church there, Central Hall, um, which is one of the biggest venues in our country now in terms of central London. Um, There were some friends there who gave us a fantastic discount, although it was very expensive, um, on the building. And we went ahead to plan for an event for 1,000 leaders across the country. Uh, We invited all the heads of all the denominations, and they all said yes. I wasn't quite expecting that. Um, uh, we had the Archbishop, Catholic Archbishop. We had the Bishop of London. We had uh, head of the black churches. We had the head of the Methodists and the Baptists and everybody. And then um, that was the idea anyway. We began to invite people. We began to plan for it. Massive undertaking. Huge undertaking. Leslie was really project managing it. And I was trying to sell the event and encourage it. And uh, it was very expensive. Probably about a quarter of a million dollars to pull off and... Uh, that's if you've got the money. Sorry, that's if you've got the people coming. <laughs> um, the journey went on. At around January, February time, before the event in October, um, Leslie began to feel some quite significant pain um, internally. And uh, this uh, kind of grew and got worse and went to the doctor and uh, it was okay and don't worry. Um, uh, then went back to the doctor and they sort of did a few more tests and... Uh, it was, it was, you know, it was all right. It was fibroids, they said. I didn't quite understand fibroids were, but, um, uh, but apparently they're very painful. So um, that's what we were told. The pain got worse and worse as the event got uh, more and more developed and, um, uh, and the stress, I think, built in the event, particularly, as you can imagine. Um, were we going to get the people there? Um, were people even going to listen um, to this vision, this dream? Um, uh, and the pain got worse. In the end, uh, we managed to get a scan, and uh, that uh, diagnosed clear, cancer-free, and uh, just fibroids. Um, still don't know what they are, but they're obviously very painful. Um, and then it just got more and more difficult. Leslie had to end up typing, sitting, standing, sorry, because she couldn't sit anymore. Um, and uh, she would have to type on the ironing board um, so she could get the right level. Um, uh, and eventually, about four or five weeks before the um, event, um, through uh, some reactions in her body, we had to take her into accident and emergency straight away. Um, uh, we went in, um, saw a lovely young doctor, and I told him that she had fibroids. Um, 
Uh, he said, Mr. Sutton, um, I, I will diagnose your wife. Thank you. <laughs> um, and by the end of that day, um, they'd uh, diagnosed cancer. Um, uh, she had severe sepsis, and uh, that, I think, in itself was a serious, to be honest, at that moment. Um, uh, they diagnosed bowel cancer, um, although actually in, in, a, in a text to people I put the word bowel cancer, I spelt it wrongly. Um, bowel cancer is very serious. Um, <laughs> but um, by the end of that week, it was actually ovarian cancer. Um, uh, she had to be rushed um, for an emergency operation um, within the next few weeks. Um, uh, the date was set for the emergency operation, 36 hours before the event in London. Um, I said, could we put it back? <laughs> the doctor looked at me and said, you want to put your wife's operation back? I said, no, no, I don't want to do that. Um, uh, you couldn't sort of make this up, really, could you? Um, so the event was being planned um, four weeks before. I think we had half the people booked in. I think uh, we were looking at uh, financial loss, uh, significant financial loss, um, and uh, that would have fallen on us personally. Um, so this was a difficult period. Um, probably the worst period of time for me was sitting as Leslie is being operated on a six-hour operation um, with my daughter, and I thought life can't kind of get much more difficult than this. And then a text, sorry, an email comes in telling me I had a £10,000, $20,000 bill, which I didn't know about, uh, for the event. And then, to be honest, then you just give up, don't you? And you just say, God, you're either in this or you're not, and you're either alive or you're not, and uh, my wife's life is in your hands, and this event is in your hands. Um, uh, she was in um, recovery, with tubes coming out of her and everything, and she kicked me out of recovery um, to be picked up by a friend to be taken down to London. I said, I didn't want to go. I don't think I could do it. She said, if I can go through the operation, you can go through that. Very compassionate woman, my wife. Um, <laughs> in fact, I'm glad she did chuck me out at that moment because I nearly decided not to leave um, because my daughter then took over, which was wonderful, but she went to the toilet and came back and uh, Leslie was having a blood transfusion and it had gone slightly wrong and blood was spurting from her neck two feet across the um, floor and uh, she screamed and uh, thank God it wasn't her blood it was the actual transfusion but to be honest if I think I'd seen that I don't think I would have left um, so anyway I arrive in London and uh, the first person I actually speak to is a friend of ours who is um, a uh, bowel and ovarian surgeon <laughs> and she said how was long was the operation I said six hours she said that's good news she said because they really gave her a chance she said, often you open people up and you just say, this, this, you know, there's no hope here. So that was a bit of encouragement. I'm not quite sure how I spoke, but I did. Um, uh, ten minutes before, sorry, as it actually opened, I, I texted her and just said, you know, wish you were here thinking of you. Um, she's on morphine at this point, by the way. She's just had an operation. She texts me back and says, you started ten minutes late. <laughs> and I was thankful she wasn't there. Um, <laughs> Um, the event had 1,000 people at. Every single bill was paid. Um, utter miracle. Um, but then, of course, then you begin the journey, because um, that's just the beginning of the journey, for those of you who have been through this, because um, then you go into uh, post-op um, recovery, then they tell you about chemotherapy, and uh, 
As a pastor, you think you know about these sort of things, but actually you've got no idea whatsoever. The sheer pressure, the sheer terror, the uh, relentless um, hospital appointments. Some of you have been through this. Utterly relentless. And uh, um, after a few days, the histology comes back, and she has stage 4 ovarian cancer with only a 15 to 20% chance of survival. Um, uh, so we then live with that. Um, but there's chemotherapy, and, um, which is a horrible, horrible treatment. Um, you just put toxins in your body and uh, poison. Uh, she's on that for nine months. She loses all her hair and all the associated stuff with that. Um, at the same time, movement day uh, explodes. <laughs> it's incredible success. And all around the world, uh, suddenly I am the non-American expert. Um, and I was very attractive to some countries. Um, <laughs> uh, and suddenly, from, you know, our ministry is sort of national, and uh, suddenly it becomes international overnight. At exactly the moment, you don't want anything to be international, do you? Seriously, you don't want anything to be international at this point. Um, and we had to work through that and pray through that, and every invitation we had to really pray through. Um, and, uh, and around that time, there was an invitation to come to Australia. Um, and uh, I think Leslie's heart was, well, God, if I'm still alive, then I'll go. Um, but we weren't really sure. Um, but she's here. And uh, I think it would be good. So thank you. I think it would be good, really, if she took up the rest of the story. Well, giving her reflections, really, on the, the journey, something of the journey we've been through. Now Roger's explained our situation, I'm going to talk about some of the things that I've learnt or that we've learnt um, through the journey of the last um, 20 months it's now been. And uh, one of the first things, I'm an artist, a creative, so God tends to speak to me through, through pictures and poetry and nature rather than um, um, necessarily sort of traditional things. So when it comes to a scripture, I always like to try to find an artwork or a something in nature that helps me understand that. Um, So that's what I'm going to do. I've got a few images that I'm going to use. And the first picture that we're going to use is, for me, a story about vulnerability. This is a photograph I took um, at a park near our house. We live in a kind of a council estate, very industrial area. Um, So if I can get in the car about 15 minutes drive, I come to a beautiful park called Dunham, a National Trust property, and I spend a lot of time there. Roger's been travelling a lot, and I've not been able to work, and I have to avoid large crowds, as you do when you're on um, chemotherapy. So I've spent a lot of my time um, walking quietly or sitting in Dunham Park. Um, And uh, I began to look at the trees and noticed that all the saplings looked very fresh and had all the branches, and they looked all complete and young and whole. But every large tree that I came across had got broken branches. They had either been cut by the tree surgeon because they'd got diseased, or they'd experienced winds and storms, and branches had fallen. So when you begin to notice that those that in the summer look really large and full and covered in leaves and grand and big, but actually beneath them... They have actually experienced a brokenness because you can't actually grow big and strong and old um, without experiencing some form of brokenness. So that really gave me some encouragement. Um, Trees are also very exposed to the elements. In our country, winter is very cold. And uh, so when the trees are, or the leaves all fall, you have very bare, exposed branches that that experience the snow and the frost. And it's cold for months on end. Um, So that, again, is a picture 
of how actually there are seasons in our life, not just seasons in the world. And that sometimes we experience darkness and coldness and brokenness. But then a few weeks ago, spring has just started in in England. And uh, that was the day I took this picture, actually. Um, And as I was walking around, um, most of the trees were still wintry with just what appeared like dead branches. But when you begin to look really closely, just at the very ends of the branches, the new little tiny leaves were just beginning to burst forth. It looked as if it was completely dead. And then a tiny little bit of green was beginning to appear and, and, uh, and fruit. And I know that by the time we get home, the whole of the park will be full of green. It's the time of greening. I love that term. And uh, that, again, gave me encouragement that um, we might feel broken and we might feel dead, but actually God brings new life and that spring does follow winter. Um, I I found a beautiful poem that has really helped me at this time from um, a man called David Wagoner. It says, Stand still. The trees ahead and the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger. And I found that really challenging because where I call here has been a time of brokenness, a time of suffering, the valley. It's been um, the winter for us, a very hard and dark time. And I didn't know if I had a future when I was told that, you know, you have um, 85% of people with your prognosis will probably be dead within the next two years. You know, you, you suddenly know that you possibly only have a little while ahead of you. So how do I stay in that? How do I rest in here and how do I treat um, here as a powerful stranger so that leads me to my next image which is I had to learn to face fear Um, that's what the valley of the shadow of death is it's the terror image of um, for me it was the image of the Red Sea Um, I found certain Bible passages kept um, coming to me and uh, the passage of the Israelites leaving Egypt and crossing the Red Sea towards the promised land just came very strongly to me and uh, I tried to find an image that I would be happy with to show you to use this and I can't find any that fit my picture of it so I'm going to have to describe it to you Um, the Bible passage tells you that the pillar of cloud and fire that was always in front of the um, Israelites leading them on when they got to the when we got to the, the Red Sea it moved behind them so when Moses parted the waters and they entered the waters Um, As they walked across the Red Sea, which if you read it, was quite a long journey. It took the whole of the night. It would have been pitch black and it would have been nighttime. The cloud moved behind them. The pillar of fire and the cloud moved behind them. So when they looked ahead, in my mind, because it was a long journey, they're not just seeing, oh, look, it's just over there, the other side of the water. I can see the end. They had to walk a few miles with waters that were so high my, you know, literally really high deep waters either side of them that nature tells you should fall on top of you. And that's how I was feeling. I couldn't see behind me. And either side of me, it felt as if life should be towering in on me and collapsing me and destroying me because that's what I'd been told. And then you try to look ahead and all you can see is more walls of water because actually the journey's too far to see the end. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, just a few months later, my greatest friend, my prayer partner of of over 20 years, was also diagnosed with cancer. Hers, thankfully, was only type 1. She had an operation, and she recovered 
And within three months, everything was over. She didn't need radiotherapy. She didn't need um, chemotherapy, which was a great answer to prayer. But then she said to me last Easter, when hers um, had, had, had finished, she said to me, when Easter finishes this year, you and I can walk into life knowing that you know, life changes now. And God spoke to me again in this park and said, your, your journey through the shadow of the valley hasn't finished yet. Um, you, your journey has to continue. And uh, that, it was like that picture of, I say the Israelites, my journey through the waters was dark. And any picture I could see, everybody always has a big sunshine at the end, as if it was only a quick little wade through, you know, and they knew where they were going and it was all going to be rosy when they got to the other side. But that's not how it felt for me, and I don't think that's probably how it felt for the Israelites. And uh, one of the things I've learned from that is when you're going through that time, um, you have to learn to name the place of fear that you are, especially when it's a place you don't want to be. If you name something, you, um, you don't run away from it, you're not avoiding it, because you're actually stating this is what is happening to me. And you have to name that in prayer, name that before God. So I've found journaling, which I've always found helpful but I journal my prayers so each morning just to sit and journal and be really honest pour out your your, you know your troubles to God and then I've also found kneeling and speaking out my prayers rather than praying quietly when you're going through a tough time you don't actually feel as if your prayers are getting you anywhere you feel as if they're hitting a ceiling Um, so actually speaking them out meant to me as if they were going somewhere writing them and speaking them it really helps and I wept I wept lots as Roger will tell you (laughs) just trying to face what it means um, that actually you might not have life in a few weeks time so how do you learn to um, to greet fear and ask it what it can teach you Um, we're told aren't we in the bible that God will not test you with anything beyond what he knows you can handle so you have to try to hold on to that. And there's another quote here that I want to give you um, that I found really helpful. It's where you stumble, there lies your treasure. The very cave you are afraid to enter turns out to be the source of what you are looking for. The thing in the cave that was so dreaded has become the center. That's by Joseph Campbell. And I think that's just so poignant that quite often I think I have been frightened of fear. I've been frightened of being frightened, so I avoid things that might make me feel frightened. So therefore, my life remains in a certain space, if you understand what I mean. But when you're suddenly given a diagnosis like this, um, you have no choice, but you have to face your worst fear, your, your most fearful thing. You have to face it whether you like it or not. And I know many of you would have encountered that through bereavement or sickness or other issues, you know, with losing work, losing jobs. So you're forced to f- uh, actually face the thing that you've been most scared of. And as this quote says, sometimes when you actually do face it and you look at it, it can actually bring some real jewels and some real pearls and it can change you. Um, And we need to learn to say hello to our fears and our worries and uh, actually not run away from them, but actually face them. So in the next image, I'm going to use a picture of... um, It's in a church near us in our city by a, a painter called Norman Adams... Um, it should come up a picture of Mary. Mary's on the right in the blue, and Jesus is on the left. And it's part of a series of stations of, cro- of the cross. Um, and they're, they're very abstract. And in each painting, although Jesus' eyes are closed in this one, but his eyes are painted as flowers. And you have his whole journey of each time he fell, and then the crucifixion, and then the, the resurrection 
is a garden of flowers. So as if all the flowers come to life. So in each image, everybody's eyes are painted with flowers. And in this picture, I've found um, it's begun to illustrate a change in faith that God has has given to me through my sickness. Um, I've always been brought up in a Christian home and been told that as a girl, you need to dwell on Mary's words, be unto me according to your will when the Annunciation happened, that that's being a good Christian girl. Therefore, you'd be submissive and you just accept whatever's your lot. And uh, I began to find God tell me to ponder on this a little bit more. What did that mean? And I began to look at some other stories um, of faith and people actually gave me some Bible passages to, to meditate on. And when, I, when you begin to look at the story of Mary... Um, Mary, she chose life when she said yes to this. But she chose to bear life, not just physically, as most of us mothers know, carrying children can be a difficult business and giving birth is a painful business. But she was called to carry and bear life that was life for all of us, not just normal life. And she was then told by the angel, um, or not later, she was told that a sword would pierce her heart. So her calling in life was not a great big joyful, oh wow, you know, Mary's going to have a baby and it's all going to be beautiful, which is what we like to think. She was told at Jesus' birth that a sword would pierce her heart. Her calling was to carry suffering and pain. And so that this picture means so much to me because you see a mother meeting her son on the way to the cross. He's beaten, he's whipped, he's carrying his cross. She knows he's about to be crucified and he meets her. And I just imagine it, they press heads, they press foreheads, rest against one another, tears streaming. And the mother can't do anything just but be there. And she stayed with him at the cross. She didn't run away like the disciples. She stayed, um, as did the other women. And I think that's something that we really need to learn through suffering. It's about staying and remaining What does it mean to remain with those in suffering? And what does it mean to remain in our suffering ourselves? It's a part of choosing life. We like the victory, but we struggle when it's about lament. Whereas a lot of the Bible is about lament. A third of the Psalms are about lament. Um, A lot of the story of Israel, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Um, And uh, we, we have Easter that really strikes me is that two days, you have Good Friday and Easter Saturday, both days of pain, suffering and lament, and the third day is about resurrection. So there's two of pain and suffering, and then there's the promise of resurrection. And we have that in the afterlife, and we get glimpses of that in this life. But for many people, life is a journey of pain and suffering. Um, And we need to learn that, and we need to learn to embrace life, whatever that might mean. So the next image, if I've got time, I just want to talk to you a little bit about Jacob and the angel. This is a sculpture by um, Jacob Epstein. And this story has meant so much to me because, like I say, I looked at Mary's way of choosing faith. And then God challenged me that actually faith is also about wrestling with God. That it's not just saying, okay, I accept whatever. And I found when I was told I might die, I began to wrestle because I wanted to live. And wrestling is exhausting, it's hard, but it's part of our journey. And this beautiful sculpture, actually, Roger took me down to London because it's in a a gallery in London. And I just literally sat on the floor in the room for about an hour and a half, um, just watching, looking at this sculpture and learning what it could tell me about the passage. 
And can you see the, the big angel, which is, is obviously God, he's got his knees bent because he's carrying the weight of Jacob because Jacob's been fighting and wrestling. And in the end, he can't fight anymore. He fought all night and then he rested and his weight is being carried. But what I also learned from looking at this sculpture, God spoke to me about Jacob is avoiding the gaze of the angel. Um, he's, he's wrestling, he's fighting, he's, um, his story is actually he's asking to live. Because if you, you, you remember the story, you know, he came to a place and he was by a river. And if he moved on on his journey, he was frightened that his brother would kill him. So he was wrestling with God for life. Um, but he's avoiding God's gaze. And God spoke to me in that. that if, how easy is it for me to wrap myself around him and try to struggle, but actually be frightened of catching his eye? Um, because to, to actually capture God's gaze is quite a hard thing to do, um, because we know that he'll speak to us, and then we don't know what he's going to ask of us. But in the Mary picture, with her face, you know, her nose to nose, forehead to forehead, she was so intimate with him. So that was a challenge to me, that actually I needed to learn to wrestle. That's part of my faith. Um, but then the, and I also need to capture his gaze. But this doesn't end there. Jacob left this experience with a limp, the angel touched him, and he walked away into his future. He was saved from death, and life went on, but he was always left with a limp. That um, his experience with God, his encounter of God, didn't bring what we would call healing, because we think healing means everybody walks away and they're all fine. But actually, that isn't the case. And you find that in a number of stories in the Bible. And I'm really struck by Jesus' resurrection when he was resurrected. His resurrected body still bore scars. We like to think that when we pray for healing, everything just changes and is all brand new again. Um, So it just leads me to the last image that I want to talk about, which is um, something I've learned from Japanese artwork. It's a bowl, a kintsuki bowl. And in Japan, um, in, in our cultures, we value everything new and shiny and bright. Um, we, we want things new, and they're often mass-produced. In Japan, their culture values something that is old because it has a story to it. And the more um, story attached, the more life attached to it, the more value it becomes. So when something gets broken, they mend it by mixing gold powder with resin and glue the piece together. So therefore, that piece becomes more and more precious because its scars and its wounds are there and you can see them. Its story is there. It's, they've been mended, but they've not disappeared. And to me, that's quite important for us to learn, particularly within our Christian tradition. Sometimes we think that um, everything has to be perfect, everything has to be shiny, and that when God comes, he delivers us into this beautiful, perfect world. But he does heal us. But he leaves us with scars of gold if we allow him to glue us back together. And he loves us because of our wounds. And that's part of our story. And then we are then free to go out into the world with our wounds. Because then we can work alongside others because we can understand them. Um, so one, one of the wounds that I learned um, through, um, through my sickness was I learned that I belong. I really do belong. Um, not because I'm useful which as many of you mums will probably know, you think that your family loves you because you do everything. You're the hub, you keep everything going, you're useful. But to suddenly become an invalid, unable to do a lot, not being able to be useful, and to find that your children and your husband and others look after you, 
is a very vulnerable place to be in. But it's a very healing place because you realize that you're loved, not for what you do, but because of who you are. So that's my scars on my, my golden kintsuki bowl. So I'm going to leave it to you to finish. Then. And I suppose the last thing we want to say is that we don't walk this journey alone. We walk it with other people, thank God. And uh, um, although there have been many times when we've uh, you know, had to face up to God face-to-face ourselves, but um, thank goodness there's always been people around us. And that's being part of the body, isn't it? Um, and I think that's very important as we go through suffering that uh, we don't walk it alone. Um, we're thankful to God for our family who have been just fantastic. Um, uh, when, when you've got older children, um, three of them are married and uh, one's in London. And uh, um, you, There can be a feeling really that these, these kids now don't really need you now. They've moved on a bit really, haven't they? I don't know if you ever feel this as a parent. Um, they don't quite see you as much as you w- wish. Um, when you ring them, they're very busy. Um, uh, so when I had to ring them to say uh, Leslie's diagnosis, um, I thought I'd ring my second son first, who's a pastor, so I thought he'd be pastoral with me, which would be good. Um, he just gets in a car and drives two and a half hours. Just gets in a car and drives two and a half hours. It was eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, just got in a car and drove two and a half hours to be with us. Um, I told my oldest boy, and he, uh, um, I thought he'd be quiet, actually, he was quiet, and that was quite good. Um, uh, and then we had conversations afterwards. And then I had to ring my daughter, which was the one I was not looking forward to, because um, I thought she would get very upset. So I rung her, and before I could get a word out, I just broke down. Um, poor girl. I mean, she didn't even know what was happening. <laughs> um, and uh, then I had to ring her back, and then I rang my youngest, and, uh, and then he broke down, interestingly. Um, steep stuff, isn't it? Um, deep stuff. And uh, we're thankful to God, though, for them. And we're thankful to God for... Uh, intercessors. Thank God for intercessors. Praise God. Um, because um, the whole thing uh, had arrived at a time of an international conference, effectively, um, uh, you know, Leslie's um, uh, womb suddenly became international news, um, uh, which uh, for a woman is um, fairly private. Um, this was uh, not the best way to live life. But to be honest, at least she got prayers. And uh, we've got some prayers around this world now. Um, we have a WhatsApp group um, uh, who we just send out prayers to, and uh, we just thank God. You know, the people who say, I'll pray for you, but they actually mean it. They're really on their knees for you, and um, we're thankful to God for them. I'm very thankful. And then people who just came and prayed for us, and uh, um, an African pastor and his wife, uh, Pastor Tania Madupe from uh, Liverpool, just up the road from us, came around. And uh, they brought the Redemption Hymnal with them. I don't know if you heard of the Redemption Hymnal. Um, it's, it's not a Hillsong. It's not used in Hillsong much. Um, mainly Victorian songs. Um, <laughs> many of which you really wouldn't want to sing today. Um, but we were talking about this, this report the doctors had given us. You know, 85% chance of not surviving. And, uh, and they said, they turned to number 200 and whatever. And, and they sung a song. Whose report will you believe? <laughs> We believe the report of the Lord. Um, uh, that was that really powerful, actually. Very interesting. Um, and then uh, a couple called Paul and Vicky, uh, who lead to one of our most exciting churches, ministering to dr- drug addicts and alcoholics in our city. They, uh, um, she'd had uh, cancer of the leg. Um, and uh, they kind of knew... When you walk with people who know what you're going through, um, it's, it's a powerful thing, isn't it? Um, and then pastors in Manchester, which is our city, um, I got a phone call from the evangelist of the city, 
Um, not known for his pastoral care, to be honest. Um, uh, but he is... Um, uh, I mean, sorry, if you if had a non-Christian wanted to come to faith, you'd take him to him, okay. Um, but in terms of counseling, you wouldn't go to him for counseling. Um, he's a wonderful man, but um, uh, he rung me up, and uh, he said, I've, I've, uh, I've heard about Leslie. I said, oh, thank you, Andy. Um, he said, I've heard about Leslie, and uh, are you all right? No, that was the question. That was the pastoral care moment, by the way. Um, <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm okay, Andy, I'm all right. Um, uh, he said, uh, we've, had, we've had a whip round. I said, sorry? He said, well, I've, I've rung up the pastors in Manchester, and we've had a collection, and uh, we're sending you on holiday as soon as you feel up to it. Um, uh, and this, this is one of the best fundraisers in our country, by the way. So when you get a phone call from this guy, you have a lot less money after, after that phone call. Um, and... Uh, and he, put, he just put the phone down. All right, then. We'll send a check. <laughs> and I'm in tears. Um, interesting, one of the last times we met him was in uh, um, the cancer hospital because his wife got diagnosed a few weeks later with cancer. Um, so we're walking that journey with him. And then friends who have just been wonderful and supportive. Um, and we give thanks to God for his grace upon us. Um, it was nine months ago that Leslie had a dream of preaching in a church in Perth. I said to her, I don't think that's on the itinerary, actually. I know we were going to be speaking at, um, sorry, if she would ever come. And to be honest, we didn't even know if she would be here until the die two or three weeks ago when the last consultant gave his uh, um, permission. Um, and... Uh, and then the itinerary was fixed and we weren't due to preach at all this morning, but somebody pulled out. And so when Nick asked us a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago, would you step in and would you share your story? Um, and it was something important, I think, for her healing. But I, I just sense it's something important for your healing as well. I think this moment has been ordained. Um, and uh, we didn't expect to be here. Um, uh, but, uh, but God is good. And uh, for the first time in two years, Leslie's had more energy and less pain um, these last two weeks than she's had for two years. So uh, God is good. And uh, um, I love, uh, there's, a, there's a picture on, on the internet actually on the last verse of Psalm 23. And it has a woman looking behind her, walking ahead, looking behind her. And the verse has, I look behind me and goodness and mercy were still following me. And that's our testimony. Um, and uh, because there was a dream of speaking in a church in Perth, I think it's appropriate that we pray for people this morning. Um, uh, so if we could all stand, that would be wonderful. And I don't know what part of this story um, has been relevant for you, but uh, we would love to pray with you this morning. Um, uh, not to embarrass you, you may want to stay where you are, that's lovely, but I think some of you just may need to come forward, and uh, um, you may need to come forward with somebody, actually. Let's not do this alone. Um, so grab the hand of the person next to you um, and say, could we come forward? And Because uh, um, we're just going to pray for you. And, uh, and then perhaps as the service closes, we can c- continue to pray for you, pray God's blessing on you and God's healing on you. Um, not a long counseling or anything like that, we're just going to pray. It's a moment which we think has probably been ordained. So you need to take those moments, don't you? They're special moments. Um, Sends a word for somebody. There's 
a relationship which has caused you a great deal of pain and it is um, not mended and you have tried many times and you walk with a limp because of that relationship and um, I think God wants to do something special in you today that may be appropriate for you please come forward or just reach out to God where you are just have a sense we want to pray for somebody actually who is walking with a limp at the moment you, you have a great deal of pain your legs, I think it's the right leg, but I'm um, not sure, but I just sense that perhaps we could pray for you as well today. And we want to pray for the bereaved uh, today because um, you know what this journey is and it's, uh, it's a long journey for you, really long, long journey. And perhaps people are expecting you to move on, but you're finding it very hard to move on. And we just want to pray God's mercy and goodness on you. We want to acknowledge you and uh, name it because you're in pain I want to pray God's blessing and healing and grace and for those with fear I just want to pray um, for those who are afraid of being afraid perhaps the Lord uh, is wanting just to bring a new sense of his security and love upon you perhaps you'd like to come forward or just respond to God where you are Let's all join together, shall we? We're in the body of Christ, so we're going to pray for our brothers and sisters. And you do not stand alone. You are part of a body. You are part of a family. And we love you. And uh, um, we are with you. We are with you. And we bring you before God. We bring you before the Lord. And we pray for his grace and his love and his life to fill you. We pray for his healing to come upon you. In the name of Jesus Christ, those of you who are crying out to him for the very healing of your bodies, may Jesus from above, whose stripes we believe in and know have brought healing, in Christ's name bring you healing. In Christ's name we declare healing. For those of you walking a, a deep, dark, emotional journey, for those of you really facing um, some mental health issues, we want to pray God's healing on you. May there be light instead of the darkness. May there be warmth instead of the coldness. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. So may the Spirit of God bless you, brothers and sisters. May the Spirit of God bless you and touch you with his love and grace. You are loved by him. You are loved by him those of you who just all you can see is darkness I pray in the name of Christ that somehow you would just begin to feel a bit of warmth even to know that you are loved by God and that your life is in his hands and the goodness and mercy are following you and even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death may you have the courage to face those fears and to know that God is with you. He sets a table before you and your cup will overflow and goodness and mercy will follow you the rest of your life. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Lord. Thank you for your healing, Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. 
If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.